0: this is causing friction. This is the podcast where we get a little uncomfortable, a little awkward on our journey of healing through mindfulness and becoming self-aware. Today's guest has a master's degree in clinical and counseling psychology. Natalie also went many steps further and is a registered psychotherapist as well as certified nutrition and fitness coach. Natalie has taken a much more modern approach to helping others break free from the diet mentality to achieve a healthier relationship with food, from offering a safe online community to eBooks, one one-on-one coaching. Combining her love for food and the effects that it has on the brain, Natalie has built an IG empire that is transforming the way her clients see food. She explains that our relationship with food is linked to our emotional experience and self-identity. Being a psychotherapist, she's able to dig deep with clients and unlock the reasons underlying their experience of emotional eating and other unhelpful behaviors, and she helps them foster lifelong skills to enhance their sense of food freedom and overall well-being. Natalie's just released a self-paced online learning course designed to help people overcome disordered eating habits where users can interact with herself and other students on the course, and she would love to give our listeners a discount. Make sure you check out Natalie's website, wakeupandsmelltherose.com, and experience your food freedom. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so happy to welcome Natalie here today. Thank you for joining me. Um, I truly believe in the work that Natalie does and that the relationship we have with food is so much more important than just a diet. Um, I've never really been a person to believe in diets and take that on, and I've always seen people struggle and kind of view it as something a little bit more harmful to people's self-worth and psyche, so I'm so excited to hear from an expert on this topic. Uh, Natalie, I first want to ask you about why you chose this path and your personal relationship with food, because I know that from following you for a couple of years at this point, you definitely practice what you preach.
1: Hi, Danielle. Yes, of course. Um, I have my own personal history of chronic dieting, but oddly enough, I remember having an interest in eating disorders even way before I developed my own kind of unhealthy eating patterns, and I remember presenting a speech on anorexia and bulimia in the seventh grade. Um, after choosing that topic when everyone else was presenting about exciting things like serial killers. Um, But it wasn't until I was around 14 and I was going to a new school, a high school, where I barely knew anyone. And I honestly believed that I needed to lose weight to make a good impression and to be liked and accepted. So I started restricting my food intake. And exercising every day, which is something I didn't do before. And I dropped weight really quickly. And the sad part is, is that I did end up getting attention from people, which kind of reinforced that dieting behavior that I was engaging in. Um, and soon enough, I experienced the consequences of restricted dieting, which is basically when you get these urges to eat a lot and to compensate for the food that you haven't eaten so I would then you know binge eat to make up for it and then the very next day go back to eating next to nothing so it turned into this vicious cycle of dieting and binge eating and weight fluctuations and it wasn't until later in life that I started to address some of the underlying emotional challenges I was experiencing that were driving me to engage in this kind of dieting and disordered eating patterns which were basically a coping mechanism for low self-esteem and for dealing with other painful experiences in my life that I didn't know how to handle at the time.
0: Right. I think it's interesting that you said, unfortunately, you got that validation that what you were doing was right. Even though we say it out loud now and we're just like, Mm -hmm. wow, obviously that's wrong. But I also feel like growing up at that very detrimental age of wanting to be liked so badly and I do believe we're around the same age so I think growing up you know over 10 years ago almost 15 years ago becoming a teen it was just different than today's society becoming a teen um, in the sense of social media was just starting um, but we had more so magazines and runway models Mm -hmm. and more so that kind of media to show us that being skinny was very desirable
1: yeah exactly and so a lot of these behaviors are are welcomed and congratulated even if they're actually stemming from unhealthy behaviors because they're so normalized yeah
0: yeah absolutely so what do you think is the biggest issue that we face mentally as a society now that we are so consumed by diet culture and kind of what are those long-term effects on obviously we know our bodies but also on our like mental
1: well-being? Yeah I think that one of the biggest issues we face mentally is that diet culture equates weight loss to health Mm -hmm. and also to self-worth and to a person's value so that it doesn't matter how harmful the diet or the method of losing weight is it's seen as almost being necessary, a necessary way to obtain respect from others and to be desirable by others. Um, And so you're right, the long-term physical consequences can be, you know, it lowers your metabolism, digestive issues, chronic stress and inflammation. But for our mental well-being, you know, we can develop this obsession with eating perfectly or constantly trying to shrink or change our bodies. Um, we can develop depression, anxiety, low self-esteem and not to mention disordered eating and eating disorders.
0: Yeah absolutely and for you um, were there any kind of early warning signs in your unhealthy relationship with food like when that all began that you were now as an adult looking back on being like ah that was a little bit of a warning sign?
1: Yes yeah definitely um When someone shows rapid changes in weight like that, like suddenly losing or suddenly gaining a great deal of weight within a short period of time, that's a warning sign because it means that some extreme behaviors are being used to control or manipulate food or body. Um, And that can really have a a dangerous effect on on our mental and physical health. Some other warning signs, skipping meals, disappearing from the dinner table, avoiding social gatherings that might center around food and shared meals, an excessive preoccupation with physical appearance which can even show up in you know changes in you know the clothes that we wear or makeup or just changing our body in any kind of way. Um, having extreme insecurities about our body, like worrying how we look, staying home from school or avoiding going out because of the way that we look or because of these insecurities, um, having really strict rules or rituals around food and exercise, hiding or eating in secrecy, showing significant changes in mood and um, feeling really guilty, comparing our what we're eating mm-hmm. or our bodies with other people. And, um, even physical, other physical changes, uh, which could be period loss yeah. for young women, right, um bloating, things
0: like that. yeah, absolutely. And I like what you said, um, kind of about the whole shame and guilt that I feel like is a really big one for not just women, I guess you know, also men could potentially feel that way, but myself as a as a female who always seem to strive to want to be thin, which I thought was healthy. (laughs) Obviously, now I've, you know, adjusted my mindset to understand that isn't necessarily the case for my specific needs. Um, But there's a lot of association with shame and guilt. And I think that is a really, really common, very early onset emotion um, that gets triggered with eating is associated with eating because you just treat food definitely like good or bad it's no longer fuel and it's no longer for health or brain health or what your body needs it's just good or bad and it just really really puts on those emotions exactly and makes you feel so much more guilty when you feel like you're making a bad decision
1: yeah it's almost shame and disordered eating are so intertwined because it's almost like you start engaging in behaviors like dieting and restricting because of the shame that you already feel around your body or for other reasons. And then when you sort of make imperfect food choices or, you know, fall off the diet, that creates more shame. And then it's sort of like this vicious cycle.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. And I know that there's a lot of people out there where eating disorders are what we hear the most common of, so bulimia, anorexia, but there's a whole other world, and just like many other um, mental health disorders, there's kind of like a spectrum, and can you kind of give what the tipping point is and how it differentiates between, um, like, a very definitive eating
1: disorder versus disordered eating Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a fine line between disordered eating mm-hmm. and eating disorders and diet culture. So, disordered eating can be kind of like what I described before about an, kind of like a chaotic relationship with food, right. where you're very preoccupied with your food and in your body. Um, you're doing things like restricting, cutting out major food groups, maybe over exercising. Um, these unhealthy behaviors, and then it shifts into an eating disorder when it becomes, when it's starting to significantly interfere with your life, and people with eating disorders also tend to have more of OCD-like patterns, so obsessions and compulsions, there's more of that perfectionism piece playing into it, the behaviors are more extreme, um, and can even be life-threatening. So it there it there is a spectrum, but disordered eating is still as serious because it can still have a major impact on your life and your health, and can also progress into mm-hmm. an eating disorder. And uh, like I said, the problem with diet culture is that a lot of disordered eating behaviors are are encouraged by diet culture. So for example, someone who struggles with disordered eating, right? have trouble with calorie counting where it sort of becomes an obsession. They have to meet this number every day. And you'll see that in in diet culture where, you know, meals will be labeled by a certain calorie count. So it can be really difficult for someone recovering from disordered eating or an eating disorder being surrounded by messages like that can be very confusing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I've never really been someone to try diets, but I do sometimes find myself being caught up in all of the marketing of it. It's hard not to, especially with social media Mm -hmm. and people (laughs) being paid to promote certain products that are pushing diet cultures. It's hard to ignore. And I can't imagine being someone who maybe is hypersensitive to those kinds of surroundings and maybe holding a lot of guilt and shame um, associated with food and having to see that everywhere you look, that just, that would feel like it's a uphill battle every single day. Definitely. Exactly. So I think I want to get a little bit more into your professional experience with DBT and kind of what the most common negative correlation emotionally or mentally people have with themselves and food I know some of it can stem from trauma I know that some of it can just stem from the diet culture of going through puberty and really dealing with that and not understanding how to view media so I'd really like to get your professional opinion and maybe experiences that you've heard from other people of what the most common negative correlation emotionally and mentally
1: is yeah you're you're right sometimes Um, For some people, there's underlying trauma that feeds into disordered eating patterns and an eating disorder. And for another person, it might just be not knowing better about what is actually healthy versus what is being promoted as healthy by diet culture. Um, But I would say that the common underlying factor is this black and white thinking, So, for example, if you think about dialectic behavior therapy, it stands, right, dialectic is the first word. That describes this contradictory process between two opposites. Um, And in therapy, it's sort of finding that middle ground between emotion and logic, having too many emotions Mm -hmm. and having none at all, black and white. Um, And so when it comes to food and body, we are constantly thinking of it in a dialectical way where food is yep. good or bad, healthy or not healthy. We have to be really thin or we're gonna be really, really large. And it's just people have trouble finding that, that middle ground and just that's where diets becomes sort of this perceived as the only way where it gives us a structure to follow. Where if we're as long as we're following all the rules of the diet, we'll be okay. But as soon as we stray from the diet, we'll fall completely off the wagon. So the biggest challenge is helping people learn to trust themselves again and reconnect with their ability to find their own personal gray area that worked for them.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. And the the biggest issue that I find with this diet culture also is that there's a one size fits all which blows my mind because clothes aren't that way. There's other things that aren't that way. So how can we expect this one specific diet, this one specific meal plan to work for someone who is 16 years old and paper thin, and then it's also going to work for someone who's maybe um, halfway through their life in their 40s or their 50s and maybe has a health issue. It's just, it's crazy to me to think that Things are marketed and not necessarily tailored to specific people. That's what makes me think that it doesn't have people's best interest in mind. It's kind of just to hook them. Like like you said, do everything perfect and you'll get the results that you want, no matter what your age, no matter what your exactly. size, no matter what you know, maybe underlying health issues you have. Like, that to me is the biggest issue with diet culture is that they have no idea who you are But they're just pumping this out and hoping that it's going to market to people and work, and it does.
1: Exactly, it works immediately. Like you'll notice a loss of weight when you're using Mm -hmm. these, but it's not a loss of body fat. It's actually a loss of water and muscle, which are what your body needs to function properly. Mm -hmm. So you end up losing your metabolism slows down, and then you end up regaining the weight and then turning back to another diet because it falsely led you to believe that it works, but it doesn't work. So it needs you to keep going back for more and that's how they hook us. Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah. I definitely see that it's unfortunately like, okay, this worked for a little bit, you go off the wagon, then you need to find another one to try because oh well I fell off and I can't go back to it. I gotta try something else now. And the biggest one that I notice people kind of yo-yoing with is keto. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the damage because I'm not a nutritionist, but I can only imagine going so harsh into something and so intense that if your body's going into ketosis or it even can't even reach that because you're not sticking to the diet, that's going to do severe damage the second that you go Definitely. off.
1: Yeah, it's really scary actually to think that that diet was created for people who have epilepsy and now is being marketed as a as a lifestyle. To, to yeah, eat. and
0: a lifestyle that was originally created for people with a severe specific condition. Mm-hmm. Like that's just crazy that it has become so normalized. Where I walk downtown and I see signs like keto friendly meal yeah. plans here. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> when did this become okay? Yeah, or
1: on the packaging on food in yes. Costco. Like yes <laughs> Yeah. That's another big one. Really scary. Yeah, absolutely. Um And even like you said um about how diet culture markets to everyone without taking into consideration age or body size or lifestyle. The same goes with food labeling, like even the nutritional information sort of gives you a a recommended portion size. So it's also kind of scary to think that it's not necessarily just diet culture, but also the food industry Mm -hmm. that is wrapped around in diet culture.
0: Yeah. So I think that the, the most healthy approach, which I don't know if that's even the best terminology to use, but in my opinion, a healthy approach is just intuitive eating. You need to check in with your body and see what it needs. If you're craving a certain something, like if you're craving sugar or you're craving salt, there's always a reason your body is trying to speak to you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So what are some signs that you can look for and what is that kind of trigger trying to trigger and what is your body trying to tell you um,
1: with intuitive eating? Yeah, intuitive eating is something that's really difficult to understand especially when you're coming from a diet mindset because a lot of people have this misconception about Mm -hmm. intuitive eating that it's just eating whatever you want as much as you want anytime you want and people usually associate that with junk food right um so we don't even like to use the term junk food the first part of intuitive eating is noticing being mindful actually of the language that you're using to describe food. So, we don't call foods good or bad. We don't focus on calories. We see calories as energy, um, energy that's giving us, that's giving our body energy to function, and we see foods as either nutrient dense or not nutrient dense. So obviously most of the time we want to be eating foods that provide us with nutrients and good quality energy but we are also allowed to have other foods that don't have as much nutrients as a way to experience fun and joy like the purpose of food isn't just to be healthy or to be eaten in a specific way but food brings us so much more than that it's used as a way to connect with other people socially and culturally um and so when we're really in tune with our bodies we notice when certain foods don't make us feel so great so Mm -hmm. sure you are allowed to give yourself permission to eat whatever you want but you'll you won't last very long eating only hamburgers you know, when you're in touch with your body, you realize that that doesn't make you feel so good. So then you might just have one at a time, for example. So it's a process of sort of just getting back in touch with your body, what your body, how your body reacts to certain foods, as opposed to listening to diet rules that diet culture has ingrained in us, such as just eating specific amounts or eating foods that are Good, pretty
0: bad. I love that approach that you you take it's actually something that I use with clients that I have as well if they come to me and they say oh I I want to be healthier I want to work out I want to you know anything to do with being healthier in a sense of food or working out I always try to shift them from okay, well, you need to work out five times a week, you need to eat this only. I don't have that approach. I more so am saying, okay, well, let's focus on your relationship with food. Do you feel guilt or shame? Um, Mm -hmm. Do you feel like it is acceptable socially? And I like that you said that as well, like it is meant to be enjoyable as we are fortunate that we live in a modern day society where food is accessible and plentiful and we don't necessarily have to hunt it. So there is pleasure. And with the diet culture, it, it takes that away and it associates so much shame and guilt. So
1: exactly.
0: when I talk to people and I talk to clients, I, I really try to emphasize that fixing the relationship you have with food is the first step to getting healthy. The exercise and everything else, that can come with it. But if you don't fix the relationship you have with food first, everything else isn't going to fall into place as naturally. um, And it's just not going to be as effective. Mm
1: -hmm. Exactly.
0: So I think that it's also important for people to realize that it's not going to be a perfect world. (laughs) You are going to eat a few too many hamburgers one night or a few, you know, too many scoops of ice cream one night, and that is all okay. And what I want to discuss is kind of that relapse or that falling off the wagon, I guess we can say, with disordered eating. Um, People just put such an incredible amount of pressure on themselves when trying to shift to a healthier lifestyle that when they do fall off the wagon, so to speak, it just feels like such a failure and then that creates a spiral. Mm -hmm. Um, So is there any kind of like reassurance that you can give that it's totally normal and how people can shift
1: their perspective? Absolutely, this is another perfect example of that black and white thinking pattern. Um, And it can also stem from fear of failure, when in reality, we have to make mistakes in order to learn from them. And setbacks are actually a very normal and healthy part of recovering from chronic dieting or disordered eating or an eating disorder. And I'd argue that it's even a necessary part of the healing process because it gives you a chance to check in with yourself, to practice self-compassion, which means being non-judgmental, reminding ourselves that we're human and humans make mistakes. There's actually no perfect way of eating and no such thing as being perfect. And it gives us a chance to ask ourselves, from a place of caring and endearment, what we can do to learn from this and how we can keep moving forward in a way that has our best interests in mind.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, and also, what is a, a good different frame of mind someone could get into if they feel like they want to step away from diet culture and they want to get more into intuitive eating and just understanding their body? Um, like I said before, I do believe that our body speaks to us and it it tells us what we need, but maybe coming from crash diets, you're not really in tune with your body anymore. So how do you think someone could really get in tune with their body? And um, how would you kind of tell them to reframe their mind to kind of step into this new, healthier lifestyle?
1: I would say to practice eating mindfully which means noticing, like slowing down to notice what we're thinking, what we're feeling, what are the qualities of the food? I think with diet culture, it sort of creates this perspective of food where food is all about numbers and numerical values, like calories. Um, And so one way to shift this mentality is by being mindful of the other pleasurable qualities of food by using your senses. Um, For example, the flavor of the food, the smell, the texture, how it feels in your body, Um, slowing down to eat without distractions so that you can actually learn to enjoy the food as opposed to food just being eating, being kind of this mechanical routine, thing that you have to do in a certain way like diet culture tells us um and also just being noticed being mindful of when you're talking to yourself in those extremes so when you notice yourself calling foods good or bad or thinking you know I always eat too much or I never know when to stop or I had some chips and that's bad. So I might as well eat the whole bag and then start fresh tomorrow. So just noticing these extremes and trying to view them in a more balanced, mindful way, non-judgmental way.
0: Yeah, I think that's huge. Um, I like that you touched on eating without distraction. I I'm sure a lot of people tend to have maybe a show, a movie, something on in the background. Um, And that is also to me a really big first step. If someone wants to be mindful when eating is to separate that because we do tend to overeat when we're watching something Um, that unfortunately is just science. (laughs) You're not paying attention to what you're actually consuming and you're also not listening to your body cuz you're focused on something else and exactly. i think that's a really common one that people kind of just take for granted it's something that people almost pair together like oh it's dinner time like sit in front of the tv eat dinner and not that it is necessarily always a bad thing but if you're looking for somewhere to start with being a little bit more mindful with your consumption
1: that's a big one exactly Yeah, because if you're not present in the process of eating, you can't really enjoy it or appreciate it to the full extent. So you're more likely to feel unsatisfied and then want to go and pick up something else afterwards or continue eating because you haven't satisfied that part of you that wants to enjoy food.
0: That's interesting you say that because um, I mean, I've even noticed myself if we've sat down in front of the TV to have dinner and then all of a sudden we're done dinner we're like okay I think we need snacks now but do we really yeah you <laughs> say a full meal but we're in front of the tv and we kind of feel like we need to consume this
1: exactly yeah it sort of creates that association as well between food and, and watching tv or sort of that mindless eating
0: mm-hmm. yeah no it definitely can create patterns as well mm-hmm. um so something I want to ask you this a little bit more personal to myself is growing up with a less access to food um opposed to being an adult and being in control now so I kind of felt like you know growing up didn't have too much of money or really anything so obviously then that associates with the quality of food and everything as well um What I've noticed as an adult is how this has translated into my relationship with food. I kind of feel like I'm a little bit more of a overindulger and a gorger because of that. It's almost exciting for me now that I get this opportunity and I get access to all of these items. And I wonder what you think. um, Is that super common from kid to
1: adult life? Definitely. This is not talked about enough, but food scarcity, um, or having limited access to food sort of triggers this pattern in your mind where sometimes when you do get full access to food, you know, your brain sort of goes back to that time when you had less access and it remembers, oh, like this could happen again. I might be limited from food again this is my opportunity to kind of store up on food and protect myself from the next time that there's going to be food scarcity so it sort of triggers this um, need to compensate or to kind of eat more food to prepare for the future of when there may be another kind of limitation with food and it's sort of if you have experienced that sort of any kind of restriction or food scarcity before, and then you do finally get access to food, it triggers that reward system in your brain where dopamine is released and creates this association of reward. Um, So it it can create that pattern of feeling like food is a reward or like we need to kind of stock up on it in case we might not
0: have it again in the future. Does that make sense? 100%. I wasn't 100% aware that I did this until probably the last two years when I got back into therapy and I just started mindfulness and DBT and everything um, I realize has meaning and purpose and I do things for a reason. Mm-hmm. And that was a big one was I became an adult and there was this whole new world of food. And it was exciting. And it also then became like I was a bear and I was preparing to hibernate Mm -hmm. (laughs) where I would overeat. And I, I can joke at it because it's my own um it's my own, you know, little issue that I've thankfully overcome, but it really created some bad emotional associations with food that I'd never even realized as an adult stemmed from that as a child as well. And kind of having that light bulb go off and that realization has forced me to really evaluate why I just love food so much and give myself permission to still love food, but also understand that I don't need to stock up, Mm -hmm. like you said. I will still have access tomorrow. Um, And so I need to enjoy and actually savor instead of scarf down a bunch, try to get what I can, and then feel guilty about it tomorrow. Because that was a big one with myself was the guilt and shame from overeating and honestly just sometimes making myself feel sick because I was kind of going into like, a fight mode where it's like, oh, I don't know how much I'm going to get again mentally. I mean, physically, I look around, I'm I'm fine. I'm in a safe place. I can take care of myself. You know, I have a full fridge, but my brain was still in fight or flight. Like I was mentally doing this to myself and it took a lot to overcome and really get over that guilt the next day. It took a lot.
1: And it's great that you've been able to overcome that because that's not easy. And that's, This is one thing that diet culture doesn't teach us is that it's our drive to eat like this is biological, where at some point, either it's been self-inflicted or completely out of our control, where our access to food has been limited, right? Either by not having the means or by going on a diet, it still triggers that same kind of scarcity mindset. And biological, emotional dysregulation that triggers us to binge eat and basically eat more food than we need to because we just don't know when the next time we're gonna be able to eat again. And that same pattern can be triggered later in life even if you, like you said, you are safe and if you have plenty of food to eat the next day, it's kind of like, well, your body doesn't really know that in that moment. And your emotions kind of take over. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that was exactly it. And it's one of those moments where you know you have control over your surrounding and your brain, but it Mm -hmm. feels
1: like you don't.
0: And it's similar with, you know, depression and anxiety. You know you're in control, but you just feel like you're not.
1: Yeah, they're so interconnected.
0: They really are. And I guess on that note, um, do you find with a lot of disordered eating, it does kind of go hand in hand with depression and anxiety. Absolutely.
1: I think disordered eating, sometimes it's hard to figure out which one came first, whether it was the anxiety Mm. and depression and difficulty managing emotions, or whether that came after, you know, our bodies were shocked by a diet or restricted eating or unhealthy eating habits. Um, But yeah, I often say that eating disorders are usually disorders of emotions because we use restricting and or binging as a way of regulating powerful emotions that we don't otherwise know how to control.
0: Yes, definitely. And I guess I also want to ask you, I've really watched your platform transform from amazing healthy recipes, to be honest, into more teaching people intuitive eating and the emotional side of it and your entire realm of being a therapist and specializing in eating disorders and DBT. Um, So what gave you the courage to, one, transition a social media platform into that? And two, what is next for you? What are you hoping to achieve by doing
1: all of this? Yeah, it's really amazing how um, Wake Up and Smell the Rose has sort of evolved and I've been able to connect with people all around the world based on this universal experience of not knowing what and how to eat anymore, not having trust in food Mm -hmm. or trust in ourselves and it just I noticed a lot of my audience Um, experiencing sort of the same things that I used to and hearing from them how my Instagram was a way for them to see food as an enjoyable safe experience as opposed to being scary or restrictive or shameful. Um, And as I noticed that Mm -hmm. that was sort of where the conversation was being shifted to Um, I felt more comfortable to voice my own experience and to help bridge that connection between ourselves and our relationship with food and how emotions are so intertwined. And um, I just released an online learning course that helps people heal their relationship with food by developing more self-awareness of their thoughts. their emotions and their behaviors by challenging unhelpful thought patterns that are typical in disordered eating and by implementing self-care strategies and the course incorporates dbt techniques and other therapy techniques to help people reconnect with themselves and their emotions and feel more control over their emotions that are driving unhealthy eating patterns and i also provide one-on-one virtual therapy and coaching and I hope to just continue creating online ebooks and courses to make this type of work and support more accessible for people around the world um, because as I'm sure you know it can be really hard to gain access to mental health support and things like that. Um, So yeah, I hope to just sort of continue creating more accessible resources for people.
0: Yeah, and I really appreciate the way that you're doing it because it is extremely non-judgmental and it is not pushy in a sense of this is the one size fits all. Um, And I guess that's where the therapy really comes into play because That is how it becomes personalized to someone else's emotions and their own experience, which I think is important for people when starting on their own journey is, yes, these courses are here, um, and maybe they will have some suggestions on healthier options, but more so than anything, it is a mental health resource on healing that relationship with food and your body mm-hmm. as a
1: form of self-care, exactly, yeah, there's plenty of resources out there telling us what to eat and when to eat, but yes, it has to sort of come it's really about getting to know yourself, yes, and what you need because everyone is different, and we have to really honor our own needs and recognize that they're normal and that there's nothing to be about having
0: me. Yeah, absolutely. And I could not agree more with any of that. I'm excited. I am going to definitely purchase this book because while I said I've gotten over that part of my own slightly disordered eating, um, I feel like it's a everyday battle because you never know how you're emotionally going to be tomorrow. And I think it's a good Mm -hmm. thing to constantly be working on because Our needs and wants change daily, and we're an ever-evolving human depending on our surroundings. So I very much look forward to diving into that, and maybe when I am done going through it, we can have another chat and uh, talk even more about that.
1: I would love that.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Natalie. I really appreciate this. Thank you. I really hope that we can talk again and thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Definitely. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm always here to talk more about food and healing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Me too. It's definitely two of my favorite topics. So I am definitely (laughs) game for another call.